Hello and welcome to 98 Not Out. Uh, in today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by a good friend of the program, Mr. Richard Clark, aka The Grumbler, uh, which we're talking all things county and international cricket. So without further ado, remember, tell your friends, subscribe and let's get into it. Mr. Grumbler, how are we? Uh, I'm very well, country to my name. I'm fine. Everything's all right. How about you? <laughs> are you one of these cricket fans? I know there are a lot around at the moment that are kind of bemoaning the, the end of the cricket season, the domestic season, the nights have drawn in, it's a bit drizzly and a bit cold, um, and there's cricket withdrawal. The only thing to help us out is this uh, is this World Cup, which is uh, reaching uh, its end game. Um. I'm not sure if it bothers me that much. It does seem to bother the cricket fans. I've had a few comments on my on my newsletter for people saying, you know, we, we want somebody to keep us going through the winter because everything does shut down. It's not like county cricket is, is covered much even during the summer, really, in comparison well, to what yeah. it was. So there's always contracts and there's moves and there's things like that going on. And there isn't a lot of coverage out there. So I think people appreciate it. But, you know, the county cricket is one of those things that it's a mood lifter. It's a mood lifter for a lot of people. Um, the sedateness, the tranquility, um, the, the the meditative power of it. And when you're missing that, I think um, it does it does come back to you and it does not haunt you a little bit, but it, it, you're bothered by it not being there, especially as, you know, the clocks have just gone forward. It's going to be a difficult winter in many respects. Gone back. And it's not there. It's not there anymore. So roll on April. But I think we'd all say that, right? Well, yeah, but there's also the thing that, you know, <clears throat> usually this time of year, and I get it that the World Cup probably takes centre stage, but there was always some sort of Red Bull cricket going on somewhere. You know, it, it was, you know, South Africa or something at this time of year. There'd be a tour down there uh, by whoever. There'd be a maybe, um, you know, uh, a prelude to the Ashes or something like that. But, the, the, you know, this is a complete, nothing going on in the red ball game anywhere no well that's understandable obviously with the t20 world cup going on i mean the scheduling of that has taken quite a lot of criticism obviously with the with, with the rain and the relative lack of interest in terms of what i expected crowds have not been that hot um for the t20 world cup i think australia played their game their last group game and it was at the um, was it the Adelaide Oval? I think it was fifty three thousand that it holds, and they had eighteen thousand in. Yeah. And I'm there thinking, you know, for a, for a game that is very important, and they had to win by a significant margin in order to put the pressure on England and force England to win very well in order to get through. It seemed very flat. Um, so that timing hasn't worked for Australia. The rain they can't control, but then again. Historically, you look at what's gone in the past and I think the last three or four years it's been rainy, but previous to that, it hasn't been so rainy. So what figures do you go on? There's there's that discussion going on. But um, it's not been... I don't know. I, I, I wanted it to be bigger. I've wanted it to be yeah, bigger yeah. and more important in the home market. It's an interesting study of cricket down under um, because, you know, traditionally we think of... The, the the sort of the triangular axis of world cricket being England, India and Australia. Uh, and this has really kind of held a mirror up to the whole thing. I mean, yes, the timing of it. You mentioned the weather, but it's been quite cold there. It's very, 
early in the spring for them down there. Um, and what's interested me is that where they're playing, all of these stadia that they're playing in um, have lost their traditional cricketing aspect. They're all now multi-purpose venues that are probably a bit more geared for Aussie rules um, and the capacity for them rather than, than cricket. And the Adelaide Oval is a good example of that. What was a very picturesque ground with a, a church or a cathedral in the background has now been replaced by these huge, massive, great stands, which for something like this are, with the with the one exception of the um, Pakistan-India game where there were 90,000 in the MCG, but... As you say, even today, England playing Sri Lanka in a in a real uh, must win game for either side. Um, still, the SCG was only half full. Um, you just wonder about how is is cricket as a sport the, pos- the the popularity dying in Australia or certainly on the wane? Hard for me to tell from here. I've got to say, I've not been to Australia, so I've not I've not seen the aspect of those grounds. I do think that, and this is where. This is where, where tests have a peculiarity around them, in my opinion, in that you look at the Boxing Day test, you look at some of the crowds that, 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 that tests have got, and they're events. They're events. They are events to go to. They are something to attend. And, you know, it's not an in, intense watch like, for example, a 90-minute football game is because it's seven, eight, nine hours and you're popping in, popping out, having food, doing this, doing that. But they're events to attend. And I, I get the sense of that, especially around things like the Boxing Day test. And part of that event feeling is about, is about going to a special place. And you look at, and you're, just pick up your point about the, 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 the fact that some of these stadia are now uh, uh, multi-sport, uh, mm. which I understand. And you know, I'm sure they've been multi-sport in the past as well. But there is a very special aspect about England, where we, you know, Laws is extremely special. The Oval is extremely special. Old Trafford is extremely special. Um, and that sanctity is part of the event feeling, especially around Lords. But of course, with Lords, you pay for it. And I've been trying to get test tickets for the summer, <laughs> and there is a massive Lords premium. So there's a there's a, an upside and a downside around that. If you're not going to make it multi-sport, if you're not going to develop your revenue streams, as they say, okay, you're going to make it special, but that's going to cost. Whether that is that justifies the Lords premium, I don't know, because the Oval is pretty darn special, and I don't see the, pr- the prices being exactly the same. Mm. But... Um, you know, if if you're going to make a special event out of a, uh, a, a, a of a sporting occasion, that is going to 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 cost somewhere down the line, right? I mean, you know, going to an FA Cup final in England, it used to be really important. It used to be a, a very very special thing to go to an FA Cup final. It's become less important because more games are on the TV, more more games are played at Wembley, blah blah blah, and you know, the fact that we redevelop Wembley means it has to be paid for. So semi-finals have to be at Wembley because we're still paying back the development of Wembley. So we've we've made that stadium much, much better than it was. However, there's a hit to our history and our specialness about that. And that's a hard uh, balance to hit, in my opinion, sporting-wise. You lead me on quite nicely to one of the points that you raise in your excellent um, County Cricket Newsletter, uh, which I urge everyone to subscribe to. 
Um, and this worrying development of um, players being approached by IPL franchises to be centrally contracted to them. We've had sniffs of this before, where one or two uh, players have been poached up and basically directed as to where and when they're going to be playing. But the fact that some quite senior Australian players have been approached, uh, and you you raised this in your newsletter, so do you just want to walk us through um, what the story is? Yeah, I think it, it was in an Australian paper, and it was the first time that senior Australian players in their prime were, they were floated the idea of, do you want to become um, centrally contracted players for an IPL franchise? So they would uh, give you a 12-month contract and obviously presumably remunerate you extremely well, but you would play for that team's mother franchise in the IPL, but also their subsidiary franchises, whether they're in the uh, the CPL, whether they're in the, uh, the 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 Big Bash, whether they're in the in Major League Cricket, whether they're in uh, uh, the South African League, of course, which is which is going to come out at us early next year, and all the franchises have been bought by IPL teams. Okay, and there's a UAE league starting as well. And I think some of those franchises have been snapped up too. So it is a something that has been well predicted. It's something that everyone is very concerned about because they think it could lead to obviously teams, sorry, players would be employed by an IPL club and they would have to. That will be, be be come before anything else, including international cricket, and this could be the death of international cricket. That's what is being talked about, and the, that story is the first time that we'd seen approaches of prime, top level Australian players. But it's in the back of their mind for Andrew Strauss with regard to his review. Presumably, what what was done with regard to the tournament that, that shall not be named. We're not, you know. That it, it that may have been behind the thinking. These things have been been trumpeted for some time. So that's the concern. It's very real. And how do we how do we address it? That's the question. Well, I'd say that there's probably a, a, a broader concern in the world of professional modern sport, and I will point to football as being an example where the checkbook um, has taken over to the point where we're about to have a football World Cup in a country that basically doesn't have any footballing pedigree. Uh, and to accommodate it, it's gone so far as to basically move the tournament from the traditional timing at the end of the uh, in the English summer. Um, we've now got the whole season being rearranged to accommodate. We're in a country where it's too hot. It's it's it the whole thing. And I'm not going to really rake this up, but money is talked quite openly about this, despite all the denials. We know, as, as sports fans, what's happened here and why it's happened. But in football, they get away with it, and no one seems to really... You know, Manchester City have bought up all these franchises around the world, which, to me, is a fair comparison to what the IPL are trying to do. Why does football get away with it and cricket, um, they, they find so much resistance? Um, interesting point. I think there is resistance in football. I think there's plenty of resistance in football, but it's been ignored. 
um, there are many people who are very concerned about this World Cup and the interest around this World Cup. The shine has been taken off because of where it is. Same with Russia in the in the previous World Cup. Given that, that there were concerns about the voting processes that, that, that led to both those World Cups being allocated to those countries at the same time. There's a lot of criticism because I think England were in the pot with regard to uh, certainly the one that went to Russia. So this is what leads people of our age to put some distance between themselves and the sports that they've grown up loving. Um, football has been on a trajectory of uh, money orientation, shall we say, since the mid-80s in the UK, you know, even when they started to uh, rule over home, home, home clubs keeping all their receipts. Okay, that allowed the, big, the, the bigger teams to get better. Then you got the Premier League, then you got the Champions League. And I've always argued the Super League is just an extension of that where you are gradually cutting off the smaller clubs and diverting more resources to the richer clubs. I mean, for example, in the Premier League, a couple of years ago, they negotiated, even though one of the competitive things, that the, 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 the statutes that re retains the relative competitive balance in, in the Premier League football, which makes it a very saleable product, is it's relatively even, relatively, with regard to television money relatively in comparison to like Spain and Germany and places like that. And that means, you know, you do have occasions where the, the, the 20th team, the lowest team could beat the top team. It has happened in the recent past. But what they did is that the, the Premier League teams renegotiated, the top six renegotiated the money for overseas Premier League TV rights because they knew that is going to be more important than domestic rights. So they are doing everything to make sure they get more and more money. That what, you know, having worked in US sport, they have a massive, you know, they have literally a socialist uh, uh, way of allocating their talent when it comes out of the, of the colleges. You know, if you're the worst team, you get the first draft pick. You know, and that is literally from from each according to his ability to each according to his need. That is literally Karl Marx. But you do look at the Super Bowl winners and it has been shared around. You look at the Premier League winners and, you know, Liverpool have had a bad season. So Man City are going to win it. I'm an Arsenal fan, but Man City are going to win it. Yeah. So, <coughs> excuse me. That trend for me is starting to make sport very boring. Mm. Really, really boring. Really, really dull. And they're using their money in such a way, if you look at football, the Man City model, franchising teams, uh, reallocating players around. Uh, so, you know, they can play for New York City or they can play for their Belgium club or they can play for Melbourne City. I mean, David Villa went to, went to Melbourne City before he played for New York City when I was in MLS and he came, I, I saw one of his first games and he was like warmed up in, in the Australian league and then he went to the American franchise. You also have had Chelsea who buy in loads of players and then loan out. They'd have like 35 players on loan. So they were like hot housing talent as well. What I worry about is this coming to cricket. Yeah, international cricket will become dull. It is dull if it's just England, Australia, India. 
Oh, yeah. I want a good Pakistan. I want a good West Indies. How do we address that? It's a fundamental issue, but sport needs to be exciting. There needs to be proper jeopardy, not jeopardy that just keeps the top people winning. Proper jeopardy, and that involves people sharing, sharing revenue. But hey, we live in England, and I look at our government, and I don't think we want to share, do we? We don't <laughs> want to share. We don't want to share. Nobody wants to share anymore because they want to win. They want oh, to win. Yeah. But if it's sport, winning, you know, that <clears throat> makes it dull. Well, there's a bit of you. You, you said that the, the MLS, uh, the draft thing. There's there's a little bit of that going on at the moment um, with some of the signings that have been announced in the last uh, week or two. Some quite exciting ones where some of the let's say the the lesser teams are picking up some decent players, and I'd sort of pick some highlights of that of Rahane going to uh, Leicestershire and, and Pajara back at Sussex. Um, probably two unfashionable teams that really haven't done that well um but yet um you know if you are a sussex member i'd be absolutely beside myself with excitement to go and watch pajara playing every week and he was great last season as well absolutely i mean sean masood also at, at derbyshire that was that was fantastic i was very pleased with the uh pakistani players uh coming into the county game because they weren't um with respect to um pajara and rahana they are Towards the twilight of their international careers, if if if, if they play again, I'm not I'm not sure that they're, they're they're certainly getting on, but um, Middlesex and Gloucestershire had young pace bowlers that that were extremely exciting. Unfortunately, I don't think that they played as much as they might have done, got injuries and things like that. But that was really exci- exciting. And the other thing that, um, funnily enough, I wrote about this in my newsletter. We're talking about resources and the fact that you know. Uh, I mean, Surrey were the, were the obvious example. Surrey are the other club that have been accused of this in the past. You could argue with it with Yorkshire as well, but they've signed the best players at times. Now, a Surrey fan would come on and say that a lot of their current side come through the academy, and I'm sure, and that's absolutely true. They have. They've also got more resources in their academy as well, <laughs> which, which helps. And better scouting networks and all that kind of stuff. So more resources means you're more likely to win. I get that. There's still a lot of um, uh, uh, investment in uh, analytics and things like that, which which allows you to overperform. But normally your your um, uh, the the wages table is an indication of the overall table. Getting back to um, those signings. I mean, I think they're fantastic. They're fantastic yeah. for, count, for county cricket. I love them to death. Um, I do think that certainly with overseas talent, you can only have so many of those available. So if someone wants to come over to uh, play county cricket, well, there's only going to be two spots per team. And most of the top teams have got one of those nailed down, which means only one of those available. So I think it's good it does filter down. The other thing that's happened, of course, is with franchise cricket become more important if you are a for example a michael pepper michael pepper is a good example at at essex he's one who's didn't seem to be doing much until he came into the side at durham a couple of years ago and, and and played really really well has proved to be an excellent short form player but struggles to get in on a on a regular basis in the red bull team so what does he do you've seen some of those players 
move from big counties to smaller ones so they can play in all formats and develop um, a, a white ball specialism. You know, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if Michael, I don't have knowledge of this, but for example, Michael Pepper, he's going to be a shoe in for the, for the T20, I would think. Yeah. Um, but he might struggle to get in those, and he played in the tournament that shall not be named this year, I hmm. believe. But um, he's going to, he, he tends to struggle to get in otherwise. Okay. Does that mean he moves? And that's an interesting uh, knock on effect of these franchise tournaments that I wouldn't have predicted. Right, before we go, I just want to just mention um, some quite heartwarming stuff, which actually is included in your newsletter. Um, and it was from our friends over at the Leading Edge Cricket Podcast who have put out some stats of um, the, the, the the batters and the bowlers um, from 2000 to 2022. And I'm, what caught my eye was the, was the bowlers, really. Um, Darren Stevens <laughs> features on both lists in the top 10 uh, – uh, batters and bowlers but looking at the the the, the wicket takers quite interesting tim murta um, leads the charge he's up there at number one but good old dave masters is in there at number three um one of county cricket's probably most underestimated or under recognized bowlers of of that period he was he was an absolute superstar in my book yeah i mean there was that guy that's that season where he got was it 96 93 wickets um, couple of a few years ago, but he was extremely consistent. I mean, mm. I just look at that, and what's interesting is you have Mercer Chapel, Masters, Sidebottom, Onions, Lewins, uh, Lewis, Rushwoods. The top seven are pace bowlers, yeah, right. And and the toll that that must have taken on them throughout their career is incredible. You'd think, well, you know, if you're going to play county cricket, you know, some of this the amount of wickets you've got over that period of time will be determined by your ability to get on the pitch, right? And we're always yeah. told that, that pace bowlers break down. Well, so therefore, I would think a spinner who can play and be effective well into their 40s, potentially, would be higher up on that list. But you've got Gareth Backey there at number eight. You've got Gary Keady uh, down at number 10. Stevens is a medium pacer, but all the others yeah. are, are, are medium, fast, medium. Uh, and that's really, really interesting. I mean, this was Steve Harmison's point about um, fitness for pace bowlers. He said, in order to get fit for pace bowling, bowl. Right? And I'd, I'd look at, for all the issues we've had about pace bowlers, I'd be asking Murta, Masters, uh, Lewis, Rushworth, what do you do? Because they have been, all right, they haven't been bowling at express pace, and that may put, bowling at 90 mile an hour will put, extra strain on you but having the top seven all pace bowlers is something i find extremely interesting and i would like to learn from them because getting pace bowlers on the pitch is a perennial problem lots of food for thought richard as always great to have you along and i'm sure we'll be back chatting very very soon um but i, I would as always i would urge everyone to uh subscribe to richard's uh, newsletter, just go onto Google and search for County Cricket Newsletter. It comes up, I believe, the number one result on the search engine, Richard. Is that right? That, that's correct. I've managed to corner that particular market. There we go. <laughs> how, how about that? How about that? Fantastic. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks for chatting and uh, taking part in this week's uh, podcast, and we'll speak soon.